0: Hello, I'm Stuart Chittenden and this is LIVES, a conversation featuring fresh voices and diverse perspectives on culture, community, business and more. My guest is music promoter, radio show host, record collector, and lifelong music fan, David lee Boys. You, Dave, are a, uh, a regular on Live's radio show and podcast because, as we were saying off-air, you are an expert in many things music and uh, i said i'm your straight man because i know nothing about music which i think will be really clear <laughs> yeah. but you've been on the show and you've talked about maha for example locally in omaha uh, you've talked about your own career as a record producer with uh, mafia rep uh, mafia, Maf- money. Yep. mafia money mafia money yeah mafia money thank you and about the music scene locally and nationally if not internationally and so today's show really for me is about hearing from you here we are still uh, in a pandemic uh, but some live music's coming back uh, bands are getting together they're putting out music in new ways different ways they've performed in new ways and I- i'm curious about what's your take on the music you love, the music you've hated, um, how the music industry is faring. And then there's all this other stuff, too, about your podcast and right. your radio show and so much else in life. So, Well, where to begin? Uh- <laughs> <laughs> so
1: 2021 was supposed to be the return of, of, to normalcy. And as much as we try in America to pretend that the pandemic is behind us, it clearly is not. But living here in Nebraska, what I know is Nebraskans have put this in the rearview mirror. Like they do not believe that the pandemic is still going. They think it's over and they don't want to hear from anyone differently. I had a friend come in from California who was like, you know, we still wear masks everywhere we go. Every place that you go to, you still have to. Things are still shut down. Things are this, things are that. And it's like, "Boy, wait till you get here because no, they don't do anything. You wear a mask out in public and you are looked at as a complete freak. You know, they don't want to hear from it. So this year was supposed to be the return to normalcy. And to a certain degree, it was. But to a very real degree, it wasn't. Because there were still major acts, touring acts, that ended up again canceling or postponing tours, pushing them off until next year. It happened here in Omaha. Like, I was really excited Uh, in August that I had this series of shows that were coming up. So Nico Case was going to play at the Bourbon in in Lincoln. That show got cancelled, then the whole tour got cancelled. Dinosaur Jr. was going to play at the waiting room. Their whole tour got cancelled. The Pixies were going to play outside behind the waiting room. Their whole tour got cancelled. So all these shows that I was really much anticipating going to ended up not happening. And it's still a small percentage of artists that are out there touring. So it's not back to normal by any means. And there are still capacity limits in certain places. Now, again, in Nebraska, it's all voluntary because there's no, there's no law behind it. That's making you do anything like they the, the government here is uh, uh, very conservative and not very interested in, you know, acknowledging that there's a, pandemic and wanting to do anything about it um it is different in 2021 for me because you know i'm vaccinated now in 2020 i stayed indoors the entire time i barely left the only place i went to was the grocery store and if i had a work appointment or something then i would go do that but for the most part i stayed home always i didn't go out i didn't want to interact because i was afraid of getting it now that i'm vaccinated and boosted i'm not as i'm not that fearful about doing it you know i'm comfortable with it uh i'm sitting here
0: with you yeah we're not exactly (laughs) socially distanced no but uh less than six feet yeah (laughs) but i too am uh vaccinated fully and also boosted so uh you know we've we've made a choice about our we're both being responsible
1: citizens (laughs) in my opinion that's all i'm saying i went to see an artist named soccer mommy and she played at the waiting room not too long ago and it was her requirement that everybody um show proof of vaccination or a negative test. And you had to be masked throughout the entire show. I was okay with that, you know? I mean, was it a bit of an inconvenience or sort of annoying having to wear a mask uh, during a concert? Yes. But the alternative is the t- tour gets canceled and then we don't get anything. So I'd much rather sit for 90 minutes wearing a mask inside a concert... Pulling it off my face when I'm taking a drink and putting it back or whatever. Because that's just such a better alternative than nothing happening. But I mean, okay, so so that Soccer Mommy show was required vaccinate, proof of vaccination. You had to wear a mask. A couple weeks later, I see the Lemonheads. They're an older group from the 90s. They came through. No vaccination requirement. No masks. No nothing. You show up, you're fine. And it was just a completely different situation same kind of a crowd because i mean just an older version the Lemonheads are soccer mommy fans that are in their 40s and 50s versus people who are more in their 20s which is who likes soccer mommy at this point so it's just it's a little bit different so I, i've been to both i'm okay with both i went to the elvis costello show at memorial park over the summer and that was outside so i didn't really think anything of it, it was no big deal um you know and I'm glad that that didn't get canceled and you know there was no issues so I've had a little bit of both there were still plenty of shows and tours that that did end up getting canceled and I had thought by September October of this year that you know covid would have been in the rearview mirror
0: the other thing that I should say about you dave is that you are highly political and ever since I've known you you've been a political animal. oh yeah
1: Well, I mean, I I technically went to school for political science. (laughs) I I said technically, and I'm viewing air quotes, because I do have a degree in it, but it's like I rarely have applied it in any real way.
0: You know, but I think that is funny, because in some ways- I know you best as, uh, you know, a bon vivant and someone very associated with entertainment uh, because you are entertaining, uh, but also music, especially the music industry. But I think music has always had a long history with social justice, social commentary, politics, that kind of thing. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. And I mean, you know, the show business or uh, politics is like show business for ugly people. That's like a cliche that they used to say. Like, it operates the same way. I mean, you still, you, you, certain People are there for the substance and they don't care. They're there for issues and it's like they're not trying to showboat or get famous or whatever. And then there's other people who are there for the fame and for the power, for the accolades and for all of that. And it is sort of a similar situation. And you can't always understand someone's motives strictly from just, you know, you don't know what the thoughts are behind Soccer Mommy. Like what is her, deal, you know... And you don't know that with all politicians, so I've always seen them as sort of similar.
0: How have artists tried to transcend the constraints or work within the constraints of the pandemic? And and how have you managed to f- you know feed your own passion around music and consuming artists? Well,
1: in terms of what artists are doing, I mean, there are two schools, like I suggested. There's the uh, school that wants everyone to show proof of vaccination. They want them to wear a mask and at least be conscious of other people and to, you know, have some sort of communal thing. And not only that, these artists and crews are in a different city every day. So they have to be protected because they're around different people every single day and in a different environment. They're not going to the, you know, you and I, we would go to an office and be at the same place every day. Their office is a different spot every single day. So they have to be more protective. And people that don't appreciate that, I just don't. I don't get it. You know, I don't understand why people can't be more uh, conscious of that. And artists that stick up for that often get on all over the Internet, on Twitter, especially someone like Jason Isbell, who I really like, made a big point of saying, like, I am going to require vaccinations at my show. And there's no exceptions in any venue that has a problem with these requirements. I'm canceling the show. And he did cancel. He canceled a couple of shows where the venue would not comply. Uh, Ultimately, I think he's, he's in the right and he should be, he'll be vindicated later on when it's found out that, you know, it was helpful. I've tried watching web broadcasts, you know, concerts of bands performing in an empty room on the internet. It's not that cool. Okay. They cannot be as enthusiastic and as good in front of an empty room with cameras as they are going to be in front of a crowd. It's just different no matter what. You are getting a different, uh, experience and it's a lesser experience. Sometimes it's fun, but at the same time, I just don't, I don't see the appeal. And that was all we had in 2020 in the first half of 2021. For a fan of live music, like that is no substitute. In terms of like, um, me personally, my music consumption and, and the way I get it is still pretty much the same. I was very afraid to go into record stores in 2020 and I didn't. Even though the record stores here in town, Homer's and, and whatever did require masks. And at, at that time when people still thought you could get it from touching things, they made you wear gloves and all that. And I, I complied with all of that, but I was still not comfortable just being there because I just didn't know what, what would happen. And, If I'm touching records, then those records were touched by somebody else. And of course, now we know that's not how it's transmitted, but we didn't know that at the beginning. So I did get more into the online. Like I'm, you know, you know me. I'm old school. I've been resisting the Spotify's, the Apple Musics, these kinds of things, because I just don't, I, I object to the whole idea. Okay. Because what it is, is it's the Netflix of music. You don't actually own any of the music you pay for access to it. And that means that it can be taken away from you just as easily as it was given to you. So all of a sudden titles disappear, then they're back, then they're on, then they're this, then they're that. And if I have an album by an artist, I have it forever. Nobody is going to come and take that back from me. On the other hand, I've lightened up a little bit because the fact is 90% of the music that's been recorded, at least in the pop rock era, is available. And if I just want to hear one song real quick, You know, oh, what I want to hear Glenn Campbell from 1975. Well, I don't have to get in my car and go anywhere. I can just go hear it. So I have changed a little bit in that I do use the streaming services now, whereas I didn't before. You know, you can't fight the future forever. And I mean, this is the way things are going to go. Eventually, the physical medium is probably going to die forever. And there's just going to be nothing there. I still wish there would be some sort of permanent way that you could get the music and it be yours forever.
0: I feel like it's really important that we don't just talk about the musical experience, but maybe you give some insight into what has been floating your boat musically. Well, I am, uh, by the time... You hear this uh,
1: interview, I will probably already have uh, posted the podcast for my top 20 albums of 2021. I always manage to find a good list of between 70 and 80 releases a year that then I whittle down to 50, which is then whittled down to 30, which is then whittled down to 20, and I present the top 20. This year, I didn't quite have that many to pick from. I got it into the 40s, maybe the 50, 50 or so, and then I whittled that down. But there are some really uh, great stuff that I've been listening to. This was a pretty good year. Some artists that I've traditionally been a fan of over the years, meaning like St. Vincent, who I talk about all the time, incessantly on the channel, on my YouTube channel, and on the radio show. Um, her album came in at number 16 on my chart this year, which is a pretty low position for somebody that I admire so much. Um Same with Courtney Barnett. She's an Australian singer-songwriter. I've loved everything she's done. She played Maha a couple years ago. She was great. But the new record, you know, it's good. It's just a little mellow for me. And I, you know. So, what I've really been liking a lot is the newest record from Japanese Breakfast. Which is a group. It's really just this woman, Michelle Zahner, I think is her name. She is a a Korean-American woman who... She's an author as well. She has a book out, a memoir uh, detailing some stuff when her mom died a few years ago. And she wrote this piece for The New Yorker and then it was turned into a novel. And her first couple records as Japanese Breakfast were all about this, it was grief. I mean, it was just real downer music. And it was great. But you got to be in the right frame of mind when you're going to be listening to something that is that much of a downer. And uh her new album is called Jubilee. So it gives you a sense of like, She's gotten past that, looking at a new perspective, different sounds, different styles. I think she's a genius. She's really, really talented. So I've really been liking that. And a band that I have been championing for years, they're actually a 90s band that broke up in the 90s, the end of the 90s, and got back together, and is now very, very active, is a group called the Mommy Heads. Uh, They're from New York. They used to be from San Francisco when I knew them in the 90s. But what happened is when their career sort of ended at the end of the nineties, the main guy in the band, the main singer songwriter guy, Adam Elk, got into jingles. So he started writing music for commercials and made a good amount of money for that to the point where he built his own recording studio. And he said that the jingle business is still booming, even though the, you know, the music business is struggling, the jingle business is doing really well. So now that he has this studio, they got the mommy heads back together and they can now record at their leisure. They don't have to be rushed or hurried or whatever. They made my the best album of 2021. It's called Age of Isolation, and it is literally about the last like year and a half. The way people have transformed their lives living under these pandemic conditions, under lockdown, and how it affects your psychology, how it affects your, you know, everything about it. And it is so good from a lyrical and a musical perspective. If they weren't guys in their fifties, I think they'd be getting a lot more attention, but the music business is geared towards the young. There's just no question about that. That's the way that it goes. So it is harder for somebody who is 55, you know, middle aged or whatever to sort of break through, but this album is fantastic. And I recommend it to any person out there with ears that likes. You know, well constructed. It's not heavy music. It's like kind of on the lighter side. Maybe if you've heard of Death Cab for Cutie or something like that might be a reference point that you would know. Um, but intelligent lyrics, really, really fantastic musicianship, but you don't have to be a musician to appreciate it because there is some of that ultra musician music that is just a bunch of just, you know, just doing, I mean, just noodling and being really boring. And they don't do that at all. So that's another record that I'm very, very um excited about. The Mommy Heads is the name of the band. Terrible name for a band, I know, but they started in the 80s. Age of Isolation is the name of
0: the record. There's a spot on the ceiling That I must have missed If I look long
1: enough I start to fall into my own
0: abyss Is it the paint bleeding through? Just a color from another time A choice that someone made Before they changed their mind
1: I, uh, I've gotten to know the guys a little bit or one of the guys in the band a little bit and uh, I did an interview with them in 2020 and they emailed me thanking me for making this video where I basically just said, look, I'm not here to review the album. I'm not, I'm not going to go through track by track. I'm just telling you, buy this freaking record because it is so perfect and it fits the times so well. Now, maybe people don't want to be reminded of the, pan- uh, of the pandemic and they don't want to deal with Thoughts about, you know, societies changing with all this isolation and how people are different, whatever. You know, and maybe that's your case. I don't know. But I, I felt like it just hit so hard and so perfectly that I just felt like I, that album of the year, no question. Just because of the timing and because, you know, I've liked this band since the early 90s. And it's pretty rare for a group that's been together for 30-plus years that when they're older to actually be making their best stuff. But I have to say, like they are making their best stuff. This is maybe the best album they've ever made. And these guys are insanely talented and have written some great stuff. I mean, they did an album in the nineties that was produced by uh, Don was who works with the Rolling Stones and all this. And their engineer was the same engineer that did Tom Petty wildflowers and did uh, some stones records in the nineties and stuff. So they worked with some great people and that music was great, but I think they're hitting it on all cylinders now because there's no pretense with them. They're older guys and they're just like, we're just going to tell you like how oh it is. We're not trying to pretend like we're 20 in our 20s. These are concerns of people in their 50s or, you know, this is what life is like for us now. So, uh, the, the mommy heads is really the record of the year as far as I'm concerned. I mean, better than
0: anything else I've heard, hands down is there on your list or maybe just off your list and make the top 2021 that is a completely new artist well new to me is
1: this group sun june which is a band from austin texas they've only had two albums so they're still relatively new and i haven't heard their first one so i don't know what that's about but they are my number three album and for a band to come virtually out of nowhere and to have been placed higher than say saint vincent Modest Mouse, Courtney Barnett, all these more known artists, is really a testament to how great the record is. So Sun June, their album is called Somewhere. They're from Texas. I think they call their style like Regret Pop or something like that. Regret Regret Pop. Pop.
0: It shouldn't be limited (laughs) to pop. That's
1: that's everything. (laughs) So it's it's very slow and kind of moody, but they build with this intensity, and it's it's really, really good. And another group that came out of nowhere for me is a group called Broken Baby. And they're from Los Angeles. They're a duo. Their album is called Late Stage Optimism. It's a little more punked up, kind of revved up music. The singer is this woman named Amber Bollinger. Or Bollinger. I'm not sure how you pronounce it. Who's an actual LA actress. And uh, she has an IMDB page. And she's been, she was on some sci-fi show that I hadn't heard of. But... Um, that was her main claim. She's still a working actress, but she basically wanted to form this band to vent about all the sexism and just that she has to deal with in Hollywood, and this was her way of getting it all out there, because you still have to tolerate a lot of being an actor in Hollywood,
0: so this was her venting system. It, it seems so interesting to me that of these four uh, bands, artists that you've mentioned, there's something else creatively interesting about them so was it japanese breakfast uh you mentioned that that lady's written a uh, yeah know, she's, a memoir. she's an author mm-hmm. the memoir um the the singer behind singer songwriter behind mummy heads got into jingle writing just as a different different thing and then sort of hit the pandemic and for you has written the best album of their career this lady you were just talking about is an actress and is mm-hmm. responding musically to the experiences she has as as an actress, it seems really interesting to me that there is such diversity.
1: Yeah, people are really stretching it out. I mean, the idea that you're just going to do one thing and one thing only in this era, do you want to make a living? I mean, it's unfortunate that that this is the way that it is. But, you know, I I interviewed St. Vincent six, seven years ago. And she was talking about how difficult it was to make a living in music. And she was already a big deal at that point. Now, she's having a problem making money and being able to support herself. Imagine how it is for some of these much, much smaller
0: artists. I mean, they have to be getting by on virtually nothing. And of course it's killing me that I can't remember the name of the film now, but she has also been in a film oh, this year.
1: Uh The Nowhere In or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: The Nowhere In. Uh with the comedian who's uh Portlandia who and that's killing me too that I can Well Carrie Brownstein Thank
1: and you. let me let me correct you Stuart. She's she may be funny. And it was on the show Portlandia. But she has been a rock star since the mid nineties with Sleater Kinney. That is her primary thing. You know, you can say William Shatner was a singer, but the fact of the matter is he made records, but he's Captain Kirk. You know, you got to go where you started. At the
0: the top of the show, I did say that I I was going to be the straight man showing my ignorance in all things.
1: (laughs) I haven't seen the movie actually.
0: Um, this has been in the works for a couple of years. I mean, I know
1: that they were talking about it a long time ago. And what's funny is going back to like, 2013, 2014, something like that. St. Vincent played at the slowdown. And I was up in this, there's this little section. If you're looking at the stage to the left up in the balcony, that's kind of like a little VIP section. And I was in there and I'm watching St. Vincent. And this woman comes in and starts standing next to me. And I look next to me and it's Carrie Brownstein. She was just in Omaha on a random Tuesday to watch St. Vincent. I was so paralyzed with fear to even say hello. Like I couldn't even come up with something to say. So I stood next to her for about an hour and I never uttered a freaking word because I just couldn't come up with anything to say. I was just like, I don't want to look like an idiot. I don't want to distract her from the show. I don't want to be, a, you know, whatever. And so I ultimately said absolutely nothing. And I was standing within inches of her for an entire hour. Or so, but she is a, a freaking legend. Her novel is uh, great. She wrote a, a memoir or a autobiography or something like that. And it was fantastic. I listened to the audio version of it. It was great. So she's a really really talented person and and I but I just when I saw her I just froze, you know. I didn't I didn't want to say this something stupid. Usually I don't have that issue. I can go up and talk to artists and not really be concerned, but every now and again it will happen. Like uh Dinosaur Jr I had this this thing where I met two of the guys and got my picture taken with him, talked to him, and whatever. And then when it came to Jay Maskis, who's the front man, I was just so intimidated, I just didn't even go up to him and say anything. I just couldn't. I couldn't. And he's not an intimidating guy. He's a nice guy. He's just very quiet and reserved and whatever. But I was afraid to talk to him. And uh, so I didn't. I never, I never got his autograph. I never got my picture taken with him. And other people say he's a nice guy, but there are certain people that, like, you get into a situation and I just, I wouldn't know what to say because I get it in my head of like, well, what could I possibly ask them if they haven't been asked a million other times? And then that trips me up and then I don't want to say anything at all. So I just rather say nothing than look like an idiot, you know, and it's probably wouldn't be a big deal, you know, because I'm sure when you've been famous for a long time, I mean, I know like, imagine you're Paul McCartney, you know, how many times does he get asked the same question in a week? You know, if he's just outside walking down the streets of London or whatever. You know, people are going to want to talk to him about the Beatles and want to talk to him about other things. And it's like, yeah, that was 50 years ago for him. You know, he's still answering questions about it. I would be afraid to annoy him. Most people don't have that inhibition. They'll just go up to somebody and they don't care. You know, it's not like I have to think of something original to say. But if I were in the presence of somebody like that, like a Paul McCartney, I'd be paralyzed with what the hell could I, what would I be saying to him, you know? I mean, the reason why the I mean the Beatles have been in the news lately because of that Get Back movie and, and what people don't remember is the reason the Beatles stopped performing was because they didn't have public address systems loud enough to sound louder than all the girls screaming in the crowd. So it was futile trying to play in front of 10,000 people because they made more noise than your amplifiers could possibly make and they got frustrated and decided to stop playing. So like I get that and I'm sure Paul McCartney appreciates that. The fact that people want to come up and talk to him as opposed to screaming and just losing their shit right in front of his face.
0: You know, because that's got to be very, very awkward when that happens. Uh, you just mentioned two other albums. And I-, I wonder if we might hear something from their albums. Okay. The, the Broken Baby and the Sun June. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let what, me- what stood out to you from, from them?
1: So let me give you a little bit of this is the Sun June. This is the kind of mellower group. This was the regret pop group from Texas that I did not know until now, and I'm just realizing they have a song called Karen O. Oh. I wonder if that's about the woman from the Yeah Yeah Yes. She is a huge inspiration to Japanese Breakfast because I was just listening to an interview with her where she was talking about how Karen O, oh, who is um, a Korean American, also like was a big inspiration to the woman from Japanese Breakfast because she'd never seen anyone that looked like her as a rock star and you know, doing that. And so that was such a big deal for her. So that's kind of cool that Sun June has a song. I'm assuming it, maybe it's some other person named Karen. O I don't know. Okay. This is called everything I had. Beautiful voice from that singer. You know, I really, really like that. And Broken Baby. So, here's a little bit of them. This was the group with the woman who is the actor. And uh, she's got a really funny song called Madonna's a Dick, but uh, that's not the one I'm going to (laughs) play. I like this one called Manic Panic. Again, their album is called Late Stage Optimism. And uh, it came out of nowhere, but I I really, really liked it. So, here's a little bit of them. This is definitely different than what we just heard. So it's it's more revved up. It's a, it's a lot different than what you get from those other groups that I was those playing, you know. So that's that's a, it has been a good year. There are great albums that came out in 2021. Strangely, I mean I guess what I, the albums that came out in 2021 were probably recorded in 2020, so it's under pandemic conditions, so things are a little bit different whereas the stuff in 2020 was probably recorded in 2019. So it predates all that. So it's a little bit different because last year, the big record for me was the Fiona Apple album, which was supposedly the first album of the pandemic because it came out right in like March or April when it was really starting to kick in and everybody was just at home and find themselves with more spare time than they, I mean, if you're fortunate enough to be able to work from home um, and find themselves like obsessed with this Fiona Apple album. Whereas I think it got a lot more attention because everyone was home and not going about their normal lives. Now people are back to their normal lives, so it's a little bit different, the scene. But um overall, I think it was a good year. I mean, you know, some of the major mainstream releases that came out, like Adele and some others, you know, I just don't listen to that type of music. So it's not... um Not a value judgment, just, it's just not my thing. You know, I
0: own an Adele CD. I'm not too cool to admit that, but, you know. Just, just to, I'm going to admit this on air, but, uh, I, I did own, I don't anymore, a Kenny G CD. All right. Well,
1: hey, Kenny G's having a resurgence this year because there's a documentary
0: about him on, uh,
1: on, I think HBO or something like that. Uh, he's getting a little bit of a resurgence, but, um, No, so I thought it was a great year. There's new groups like we just talked about. Sun June, Broken Baby. There's another one called Kiwi Jr. from Montreal. And then you have the legends like Susanna Hoffs from the Bangles. She put out an album this year. I've loved Susanna Hoffs since I was 13 years old in 1984 when I first heard the Bangles. I've kind of had a little crush on her ever since then. It never really stopped. She put out a new album called Bright Lights. It's cover songs, but... Um, I love her voice so much that when you listen, she's, she's an interpreter now. Like she doesn't, um, she doesn't write as much, maybe new original material, but she lends her voice to these great songs, you know, from all sorts of places like Nick Drake and Chris Bell and Richard and Linda Thompson and covers like that. Some obscure stuff, but probably for most of her fans, but there are great things on that. So I really liked her, uh, contribution this year and veteran bands like Modest Mouse who've been going since the early 90s uh they put out a good record called The Golden Casket which I don't know what this means for the band but I've never been a huge fan of theirs but I love this new album and it I've been feeling like the new album isn't getting as much attention as their previous ones are so I'm wondering if that has something to do with me liking it all of a sudden and now and now the people who used to like them before you know don't really care anymore I don't know it, it's probably Not correlated, but I, you know, maybe, I don't know. Yeah. So, uh, that's what I'm at for 2021. I mean, I, I would talk about like favorite shows, but I've only seen like three or four shows this whole year. So my, the pool that I could choose from is very limited.
0: So you host. New Day Rising, mm-hmm. which is a show – it's a radio show yes, on um, a local community radio station. So
1: that has been uh, next – this week marks 17 years of me being on the air.
0: Yeah. So there's that ongoing yes. uh, with a real pedigree to it. There also is um, the dark stuff.
1: Right. So the radio – I've been on the radio of a weekly show called New Day Rising for 17 years. That has not changed. I record the show here in the bunker in my home studio. I haven't actually been to the radio station in probably seven, eight years or so. So that wasn't affected by the pandemic. I still operate exactly the same way. Years ago, so I initially wanted to do podcasting in the first place. We're talking like when you and I first met like way back in the day. Podcasting was in the early stages, but the reason why I wanted to do it was because I had this radio show that just broadcast out into the ether, and if you didn't listen to it live, you never got to hear it again. It was before streaming. It was shows weren't being podcasted or any of that stuff. So I wanted my friends who lived out of town or out of the country or whatever to be able to listen to something. So the idea back then was to create a version of the radio show that could then be online so that other people could hear it. Well, that's a moot point now because of the fact that the station does stream, so people can hear it. Now, they don't podcast the shows. So podcasting, for me, has changed. Uh, let me get back to the YouTube channel. So a number of years ago, I stumbled upon a, sort of an online community on YouTube known as the Vinyl Community. And it was basically just people who were into collecting records, and they would just talk about it on YouTube, show their collections off, could do a deep dive into a certain band or whatever they wanted to do. And I just decided, hey, I'm going to try that. Now, gradually, the channel changed over the years because I found that once I got comfortable being on camera by myself, which wasn't that much of an adjustment because once you get past the barrier of having a conversation with yourself, which is essentially what a radio show is, I'm the only one in the room. I'm talking like I'm talking to somebody else, but there's nobody there. Once you get past that and you get comfortable with it, being able to just carry on a conversation by yourself, which makes you sound like a nut job when I say it out loud right there. But, <laughs> but once you get past that, the YouTube part wasn't that different. Okay. Cause I'm not, uh, it, once you can do that mission accomplished. So then I started expanding the channel into doing different things and. So now it is it is discussing vinyl records, but it's also discussing new releases. I do deep dives into certain artists that I really like. I have a new segment uh, that I'm doing, a new theme, sort of, which is called my incomplete collection. And what I'm doing with that is, you know, the tendency of record collectors is to get everything. Okay. And then if you have everything, then you do a video showing your collection about how I have every Elton John record in existence or whatever. But what about those artists that you don't have everything? I I basically wasn't talking about them that much, but I have some bands like I did Blue Oyster Cult for example, where I probably have like 70% of their catalog and I just ignored them because I didn't have the other 30. Now I decided, you know what? There's still some value in talking about what I do have and pointing out the the holes in the collection, but like I, you know, it's a different theme. Uh during the height of the pandemic, I started doing more Zoom interviews with people some with artists some with just friends where we just talked about music you know we I did a video where myself and three friends talked about uh, music that we discovered uh, during the during quarantine um, another one you know best female artists uh, best this best that you know our favorite we did uh, one of the best albums of 1980 you know stuff like that so we came up with all these different themes so it's not just me doing it. And I've interviewed a few people. I interviewed Matt Foach, who used to be in Bright Eyes, and he's a solo artist now. And some other people. I've got some a couple other interviews lined up. So the channel has evolved. It's not just a vinyl channel anymore. But then what happened was, since I do primarily talk about music on YouTube, there are a lot of copyright restrictions in terms of what you can do while you're on YouTube. So you can't just play a song and say... Hey, I'm talking about this new record from Dinosaur Jr. Let's play a cut from it and play it. You just can't do that because your video will get flagged and possibly taken down. So I started reaching back into the idea of a podcast and actually somebody who, uh, I know is an online pal of mine who he has a YouTube channel. He watches my YouTube channel, tipped me off to this, um, this format to do podcasts. That's through anchor, right? you know, anchor.fm and it's affiliated with Spotify, and he said, "No, you can use this, and you can actually play music, and it's legal." I took put that in the back of my mind. I thought, "Okay, it's interesting. We'll see." And I didn't do anything with it. And then I came across, I stumbled across a podcast called um, Band Splain. Okay, now it's a it's a Spotify show hosted by this woman who I think is a music journalist or something. And the idea behind that show is they're taking on cult artists and iconic artists and explaining why you're supposed to care. Like, they bring on an expert who is an expert on the group, and then they tell you, like, this is why you're supposed to care. I stumbled upon the podcast and realized that, okay, these shows were like mammoth. They were like three and four hours, which is way more than most people want to hear. But that's because the songs were there. There were full songs. So if they're talking about Guns and Roses or whatever – They don't just have to make a reference to it. They can say, okay, now let's actually play that song and play it all the way through. And for someone like me, I think that's much appreciated. So those two things came together, and I decided, all right, I'm going to try it. So I've started this new thing called Dark Stuff Radio, which is meant to be a continuation of the YouTube channel. And I'm still working it out, the various themes. But I started off by taking some videos that I had, extracting the audio, cutting them up into segments, and then actually playing full songs in there, whereas I would only have been able to play 10 seconds before. That's how I started. Now I'm starting to get into original, like completely unique content for that, that I'm doing at the moment. I have to have something that's different. It can't just front announce a song, back announce a song, and that's it. Like You have to be able to provide... More than you do in a normal show, so I'm still working out what kind of ways I can I can utilize this format in this podcasting format. Um, so it's it's in its infancy, but um, I've definitely been devoting a lot of time to it uh, over the last couple of months.
0: To take this moment just to look around the bunker. This is the first time I've been down and privileged to be down here. (laughs) Uh, And this is my cry for help in case I don't appear (laughs) (laughs) at some point. Uh, But you know, so I'm looking around and I'm wondering you've got so many artifacts associated with music, not least this massive collection towards the back of the room um, and around the corner. And I'm wondering if there's one piece in here, one thing on the wall that just really, I don't know, is, is your pride and joy or marks a moment a memory
1: there's maybe a couple i mean i have this thing that i made in the very back if you look back there the it's ace freely from kiss and it's a gigantic wall thing it's the piece above there now it's this cost me a lot of money to get it framed because when you have framing that big it's like extremely expensive so i had the opportunity in 2016 to meet ace freely and to from kiss formerly of kiss and he's been an idol of mine since i was a child. And I got to go up on his bus and hang out for a little bit. And I decided to commemorate the occasion by putting together um, some signed albums that I got from him, a picture of him and I from on the bus. Um, a friend of mine named Chip, who is a professional uh, professional photographer, took some pictures. So I put one of those on there and I made a big piece there. And I, I really, really do love that piece um, be, just be, for what it represents from that experience. Um I have a lot of autographed stuff. 98% of all the autographed albums and posters and stuff are autographs that I obtained personally. I don't see much value in buying something that's autographed or going on eBay and buying an autographed thing. If that's your thing, no problem, you know, but I prefer to have the experience of actually being in the presence of this person. Now I have some signed St. Vincent records on the back wall, like directly behind me. And those are kind of funny because it has my first and last name on it. And the story behind that was I was introduced to her as David, right? And then we talked for about 20 minutes doing my interview with her. Well, at the end of the interview, I said, hey, um, I'm really sorry to ask you this. Can I ask you something corny? And she was like, yeah, okay. And I was like, well, would you sign some albums for me? So she was trying to be polite because she had forgotten my name. This is my theory on it. So she asked me how to spell my name. Which is a nice way of saying, what is your name, basically, if you tell me how to spell it, now I know what it is, I didn't have to ask you. So I thought to myself for a second, well, David's not hard to spell, so she must mean my last name. So I started spelling my (laughs) last name, and she started writing it on the record, and then I was like, oh, okay. So David, and then she wrote it on there. So on the records, it's signed to me with my first and last name, which is kind of odd. But it's just kind of a story. It took me a little bit to figure out what why she did that, and it was like, oh... She was trying to be polite and didn't want to say, I forgot your name. And that's all it was. But it's a funny story now that I have those because people are like, why did he sign it? Why did she sign it that way? And it's like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, that's just, that's the way it was. Um, so those are probably some of my favorites. I mean, I have some other photos that are up around the wall of like, I mean, I've got the, I with Steven Tyler from Aerosmith. That's when I was 17, 16 or 17. The one above it is Paul Westerberg from The Replacements. It's an infamous story where, um this was in 1989, and a very inebriated Paul Westerberg um ripped up a photo that I had that I had had the other three guys in the band sign, and I brought it to him and asked him to sign it. And he looked at me and just like, where'd you get this? And I tried to tell him, and he just ripped it up into pieces. And I was just like... what What the hell did you just do that for? You know, I was like shocked. I didn't believe it. And he's like, you got anything else? And of course I did. I had magazines. I had all this stuff. I didn't want him to ruin it. So I was very reluctant to give it to him, but I gave him this musician magazine with them on the cover. He signed it like 20 times in the book, but nowhere near where his picture was, just random pages and stuff. And then we took a picture and he looks drunk in the picture. Years later, I've had more than one person recite that story of seeing that, not knowing it was me that was the person that was there that had that happen. Talk about, oh, man, this kid. And, and then Paul Westerberg just ripped up his picture. And he, the kid was so – I was like, yeah, that kid was me. You know, I was the <laughs> one that did that. That's me. So uh, uh, that photo is very infamous. And somebody who was standing in the background, a girl going like this with her two fingers at her peace sign – I didn't know at the time. I met her two years later, and we became good friends. I had no idea that she was already in this picture two years before I ever even met her. So I, uh, that's that's a special picture for me, too. Those are probably my favorites, I would say.
0: Is there any sound, any music from this year that you would like this show to play out on?
1: Um. You know, I mean, you might want to uh, try some of that Japanese breakfast, perhaps. You, there's a really good song called, uh, let me see here, which one. Well, I like, I like The Posing in Bondage. I like Be Sweet is a nice pop song. Um, Savage Good Boy is pretty good. There's actually a music video of that. And Michael, I think his name is Imperioli. He's an actor, used to be on The Sopranos. Uh, he stars in the video, which is, which is kind of a cool video um so i don't know maybe something like that uh let's do let's just do b-sweet Be because that's a nice catchy song song is a little misleading in comparison to the rest of the album because that sounds more like a mainstream pop song uh, with more sophisticated lyrics than your average mainstream pop song Um, but that's what I think a lot of artists nowadays are doing certainly St. Vincent used to do that where kind of lure you in with something that sounds kind of mainstream and that you've already heard and then you realize once you're in it that you're being exposed to something different like not, not the norm you're getting a little I don't know, counterculture, you're getting a little bit uh, just something different, but it lures you in with the sound you're maybe a little more familiar with, and then it kind of hits you with that, I don't know the expression, but it hits you with something, and then you realize this isn't just a normal song. It's just a different level. So that's what I like a lot about that Japanese breakfast, because it's just it, on the surface it sounds like one thing, and then when you get deeper into it, it sounds like something else. And that's a grower. So I would advise anybody who listens to this, if you hear that Japanese breakfast record and at first you're just like, eh, it's okay, give it a few more listens because it took me months to fully appreciate the depth of that record and how great it is musically and how really talented that, that Michelle Zahner is. Um, and I think the best records are like that anyways. That's what I would say. <laughs>
0: Dave, thanks for allowing me into the bunker yeah, where the magic, the musical <laughs> magic happens. Uh, I, I've really enjoyed your insights on music. Thank you. Well, thanks. I hope
1: you get a good show out of this and uh, uh, that people uh, get something out of it. You know, that would be great. And uh, yeah, I, you know, um, this is my third or fourth time on the show, I think, as a repeat repeat guests so i'm liking it and uh we can do this whenever <laughs>
0: <laughs> thanks dave okay
1: okay we should be going
0: That's the end of this week's show. You can listen again to this show and others by subscribing to the podcast at livesradioshow.com and find us on social media at Lives Radio Show. The music playing you in and playing you out each week was created specially for the show by Andrew Bailey. I'm your host, Stuart Chittenden, and this is Lives Radio Show and Podcast. Join me next week for fresh voices and diverse perspectives on culture, community, and more. Oh,